Good morning again, everyone. As we said, it is Palm Sunday. And so in your Bible, start finding Matthew chapter 21. We're going to read the, the Palm Sunday account from Matthew. It is a, a story that's in all four Gospels, which is kind of rare. So there's not too many things that are in all four Gospels, but the Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, if you will, of Jesus is in all four Gospels. But we're going to read it from Matthew 21 this morning. And also, we're going to be jumping around back into the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 9. So, if you've got maybe another piece of paper laying around, you can mark out in your Bible, put a little marker in Zechariah chapter 9. Uh, maybe one of the kids, if you're gathered as a family, they can, they can have a, a separate Bible open to Zechariah 9 and also Psalm 118. So we're going to be doing a lot, of, a lot of looking around the Bible today, connecting some dots, putting some of the pieces of the puzzle together as we think about what Jesus did on that Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. Obviously, we are living in times of uncertainty. We do not know what tomorrow holds. Uh, we thank you, church, for gathering with us week after week, Sunday after Sunday. As you saw this morning, we've even reduced our numbers down even more. Uh, but we know that our God is able to do more with less, isn't he? That, it, that is actually the whole point of this story that we're about to read and the whole point of the gospel that God can take something very simple, very ordinary, and He can do amazing, amazing things with it. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for all the words of encouragement. I'll just say on behalf of all the pastors, we continue to get um, kind texts and emails and cards, just uh, supportive and encouraging. So thank you, thank you. You have no idea how much it means to us to be able to know that uh, you as a church are, are with us and uh, tracking with us and supportive. It is our honor and privilege to do that and to love you and, and love you just a little smidge the way Jesus loves you. Obviously, his love is way, 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 way better. So, Matthew chapter 21, four truths you can stake your life upon today. That's what we're going to uh, see today from Matthew 21 verses 1 through 11. Follow along as I read it. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. <clears throat> 
This is God's Word. We're going to look at four, <clears throat> excuse me, four questions this morning. Before we get to our four truths that you can stake your life upon, I'm going to quickly move through four questions that help us unpack this text. Okay, and like I said, we'll do some ju jumping back into Zechariah's prophecy, and we'll, we'll do some jumping back into the Psalms as well. Here's our four questions. Who is this? How did he come? What did he come to do? And how will he do it? So question number one, who is this? And you saw that question I'm taking straight from the text. Everybody look at verse 10, Matthew 21, verse 10. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? That's a very common question in the Gospels. In fact, that same question was asked in last week's sermon, Pastor Mark, uh, Mark chapter 4, the, the storm and the boat, and Jesus is asleep, and Jesus wakes up, and he says, Peace, and the, and the sea turns to glass, and the disciples look at him and they say, Who is this? So that question is asked of Jesus all the time. Who is this guy? And the, the people of Jerusalem, as Jesus rides in, they're asking that same question. Who is this? The answer is, he's the king. He's the king. He's the Messiah. They're stirred up. They're shaken up because what Jesus has just done is not random. It's something that in Jewish history meant something very particular. You see, kings and donkeys have a long history in the Bible. It goes all the way back to Genesis, actually. In Genesis chapter 49, Jacob the patriarch, he's dying, and he brings his son Judah in front of him, and he's going through all of his sons, and he's, he's giving a blessing to all of his sons, almost a prophecy to, to each of his sons. And when he gets to Judah, his son Judah, he talks about how Judah will have the scepter like a king, and then he says something very strange. He says, and Judah, your donkey will be tied to the vine. So Judah will be a king with a scepter and a donkey. And of course, we're left scratching our heads going, what does all that mean? It means that he's going to be a powerful king, but the donkey represented peace and simplicity and humility. So even way back then, thousands of years before Jesus, Judah, and of course, a lot of you know and remember that Jesus is from Judah. Jesus is the king of Judah. He's from the tribe of Judah. King David, he rode on donkeys twice in the Bible. It records David sitting on a donkey and, and riding into Jerusalem peacefully. Um, Solomon, when, Solomon when, when David was dying and there was, there was Solomon and Solomon's brother and they were going to fight over the kingdom and David wanted Solomon to be the king, so from his deathbed, David said to, to Bathsheba, Solomon's mom, he said, put Solomon on a donkey and parade him around the city and cry out, long live the king, long live the king. And so they did. They put Solomon on the donkey and they paraded him around and they cried out, long live the king. King Jehu of Israel, the Bible tells us, uh, he's, he's one of the kings of Israel, northern, the, the northern kingdom of Israel. If you remember your Bible history, the kingdom will split, northern Israel, southern Judah, 
Most of the kings of Israel are really bad dudes, but Jehu's kind of in the middle. He's, got, he's kind of a mix of some good, some bad. King Jehu rode into Samaria, their capital, on a donkey, the Bible tells us. And he rode in declaring peace, but then he, he turned everything very, very violent, and he cleansed. He goes in and he cleanses the temple of Baal, and he kills all the priests of Baal. And so when Jesus rides in on a donkey... The people that are witnessing this, the people of Jerusalem, they, they are seeing something that they've seen before, that they've seen in their history. It is clearly, clearly Jesus' way of saying, I am here to be your king. I am here to be your Messiah. I am here to be the son of David. I am here to, to, to lead you and to save you. This is Jesus' coming out party, if you will. All throughout the Gospels, every time Jesus would do a miracle, he might heal somebody, he might, he might cleanse the leper, he might cast out demons, and every single time Jesus would say something like this, he would say, shh, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anyone that I'm the Messiah. It was, we call it the messianic secret. But now, clearly the secret is, is over. The secret is out. When Jesus puts himself on a donkey and rides into the city, he is saying, I am your Messiah. No more secrets. If you ask me right now, I'll tell you. Yes, I, I am the one. I am the king. And you see, what this does for us is it, it, it forces us to confront this reality that Jesus is claiming to be our king. And not just the king of the Jews, but the king of the universe. Jesus will become the Messiah, not only of Israel, but the Messiah of the world, the Christ of the world. And so every single one of you hearing my voice today, you have got to decide what you're going to do with a, with a guy who stands up and says to you, I am your king. I am your king. And what we see in the Passion Week, in the Holy Week, what we see is you've got two choices. You either crown him or you kill him. Those are the two choices. Here on Palm Sunday, they're ready to crown him. But by the end of the week, they're going to be ready to kill him. And so every single one of us has to ask ourselves this question. What are we going to do with Jesus? Who is he? Who is this king? This king of the Jews. We see it in Zechariah's prophecy, Zechariah 9. Matthew quoted it, didn't he, in verse 5. John's gospel will also quote it. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Zechariah 9, 9 says. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Your king is coming to you. Question number two. How did he come? So Jesus is, who is he? He's the king. But how does this king come? All right, look again at Zechariah 9, 9. Zechariah 9, 9. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. How does Jesus come? He comes humble. He comes gentle. He comes peaceful. He comes on a donkey, not a stallion, not a steed. He comes to end all war. Look at the, the next verse, Zechariah 9, verse 10. The prophecy continues. 
It says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The prophet Zechariah is telling us that when the Messiah comes, he will come gently on a donkey in order to end all war. Do you see it? He's cutting off the chariot. He's, he's getting rid of the war horse. When King Jehu rode into Samaria, the king of Israel rode into Samaria on a donkey, that didn't, he didn't come bringing peace. It was, all, it was all a plot. He came in and he actually lied to the people. He, he deceived the people. Also that he could kill the wicked king Ahab. Jehu will, um, he was actually a charioteer. He was a, he was a military man. He will actually kill king, the king of Israel and the king of Judah both. And he will do it with a bow, with his bow and arrow. And so here in Zechariah 9, the prophet is saying, you have a king unlike Jehu, you have a king who's going to ride in and not on a chariot, not on a war horse, and he's not shooting his bow. He's not going to kill anybody. In fact, quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. opposite. Jesus will ride in prepared to die. But the people do not understand this, do they? The people do not understand this. The people grab palm branches, don't they? Remember in the, in the reading, they grab palm branches and they tie them together and they wave them in the air. Sometimes, uh, sometimes you'll read or, or you, might, you might think that this is a symbol of peace, but it actually wasn't. The palm branch evolved over time in Israel's history as a symbol of rebellion. When the Maccabees led a rebellion against Rome, the, the palm branch became the symbol of the Maccabees. The palm branch was engraved on the coin, the Jewish coins, so that instead of using the Roman money, we're going to use the, the Jewish money, and the symbol on the Jewish money is palm branches. So when Jesus is riding in, and the people are crying out, Hosanna, save us, and they're waving palm branches, they believe they are getting a military leader. They think they're getting Jehu. They think they're getting a king who's going to come in and kill Pontius Pilate, kill King Herod, maybe even march all the way to Rome and kill Tiberius Caesar. Who knows? Sky's the limit, right? So that's what they're hoping for. They want a rebellion, not a martyr. They want a king who will conquer and subdue. We know this because in Luke 24... When Jesus dies and then he comes back to life on resurrection, on resurrection Day, on Easter Sunday, Jesus is walking out of Jerusalem and he meets two travelers. Do you remember this one? And he meets these two travelers and they're, they're gloomy and they're depressed. And Jesus says, why are you so depressed? And they say, don't you know? Are you the only one who doesn't know what just happened? We thought, we hoped we were getting the one to redeem Israel. But now he's dead. They thought that Jesus was going to be the redeemer of Israel in the political sense. You see, often we, we do the same thing. We want Jesus to solve all of our problems, all of our lesser problems, instead of seeing Jesus as the solution to the biggest problem that we have. Jesus is the redeemer of Israel. Jesus is your redeemer. He's your redeemer from sin. He's your redeemer from death. 
He's not your redeemer from, uh, from political problems, financial problems, addiction problems. He is not first and foremost your, your redeemer from those things. He's not, he, he's not the, he is not the literal cure to the coronavirus, which is, which is why I'm preaching to an empty room, which is why we, say, we, we have fewer mu- musicians. We do not stand up here and say, Jesus will protect us from coronavirus. No, we say Jesus will protect us from sin. Jesus has conquered death. Jesus says to us, if a virus kills me, or I get hit by a car, or, or I get some other disease, or if I die as a 110-year-old man peacefully in my bed, doesn't matter. Jesus has conquered death, and I will be with him forever. What did he come to do? Question three, what did Jesus come to do? He came, answer, he came to save us. He came to save us. Back to Zechariah's prophecy. Rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having what? Salvation. Righteous and having salvation. Jesus has come to save us. Psalm 118, which is quoted on Palm Sunday by the people. Psalm 118, verse 25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Save us. Hosanna. That's what Hosanna means. Hosanna means save or save right now or save us, Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna. They're shouting it as Jesus rides in. Save us. Save us. This is the cry of every heart. This is the cry of your heart. This is the cry of my heart. We all need saving and deep inside we know it. Deep inside, what every single one of you is looking for today is a Savior. And if, you're, and if you'll allow it to go deeper, not just a Savior from a pandemic, not just a Savior from financial stress, stress not just a Savior from job loss, you, if you're honest, if you'll let, let the situation work on you in a, in a deeper way, you're going to see that what you need salvation from is something far deeper, far more ingrained. Fear, doubt, um, selfishness. These things are being revealed in us through the trying situations that we face. That's what we need salvation from. We need salvation from sin. From sin. Sin is a cosmic disorder. It affects everything in the universe. Sin Sin affects the natural order. Because of sin, because of the fall, because of the curse, that's why there's a pandemic. That's why there's viruses. That's why there's cancers. That's why there's depression and anxiety and and hurricanes and tornadoes and, and all of the natural things that afflict us. But also because of sin, we are afflicted internally. We are selfish and prideful and and we uh, we we turn towards ourselves. We're so self-focused, aren't we? This is a disease that has affected every single thing on this planet. And so we long for salvation, don't we? We cry out, save us, Hosanna, save us, O Lord. We pray, give us success. We long for something. We're all longing for something. People, people read the Jesus story. They read about, about 
Jesus coming and doing miracles and amazing teaching, and then he dies, and people say, he's just another, Jesus is just another in a long line of Messiah myths. He's just another in the long line of these hero stories, the hero trope, right? He's the, we, the, these utopian ideas. But listen, here, here you're, it's true. It's true. The hero, the hero story, the hero myth has been going on for thousands and thousands of years. But why? Why? Because it's ingrained deep in us, isn't it? This idea of I need a hero. Ever since Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, and God showed up in that garden that day, and he promised them a hero, Genesis 3.15, he said, there's someone coming. A Messiah is coming. He's going to crush sin. He's going to crush evil. He's going to crush Satan, and he's going to restore you. He's going to bring life. Ever since then, this, this desire, this deep desire for the hero, this deep desire for the Messiah, it's built into us. And it's in every story we tell, isn't it? It's in it's all the best movies, all the best stories, all the best tales. They all point to our longing for this hero to come. But how does he come? How does he come to us? What does he come to do? Question four, how will he do it? He's come. Question three's answer, he's coming to save us. But, but question four, how will he save us? And this is where... Woo, this is plot twist right here. This is the plot twist. This is the question. Yes, there's a king. Yes, he's the king. Yes, we all want a king. We all need a king. Yes, salvation. Yes, we all want that. We all want the salvation. How are you going to do it, Jesus? How are you going to do it? You going to line us up? Are you going to get your you're going to get your war horse? Are you going to get your battle bow? Are you going to get your chariot? Are you going to ride into Jerusalem that way? No. Actually, quite the opposite. Jesus rides in, not in victory, but he, he rides into his own death that day. That Sunday, Jesus rides into the very place amongst the very people who have already decided they want to arrest him and kill him. In John chapter 11, as soon as Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it tells us that the religious leaders off to the side, they, they huddle up and they say, we have got to get rid of this guy. We've got to arrest him and destroy him and put him on ice or else we're going to lose power. And so when Jesus rides into Jerusalem, he is not ignorant of what is coming. He is not ignorant of Friday. He is not ignorant of the cross. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he rides into Jerusalem knowing that by the end of the week, he will be arrested and tortured and killed. How will he do it? How will he come to us? Again, it's in Zechariah's prophecy. Zechariah 9, verse 11, the next verse. Okay, so, so Zechariah 9, your king is coming. He's coming, he's coming on a donkey He's coming, he's coming with salvation. He's coming on a donkey. Verse 10, he's going to end all war. Verse 11, how? As for you also, because of the, what's the next word? Because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. What does that mean, Brady? What does that mean? The king who's coming is coming in the blood of the covenant. 
He's coming as the Passover lamb. Because when they're reading this back in Zechariah's day, they're going, okay, in what covenant was there blood? Well, it's the old covenant. It's the Sinai covenant. They escaped Egypt. The, he, the Hebrew people escaped Egypt through the blood of the Passover lamb. And when the covenant was ratified at Mount Sinai in, in Exodus, how was it ratified? It was ratified by the sacrificial blood of the lamb. They killed the lamb. They slaughtered the lamb. They shed the blood's lamb, the lamb's blood. And then they took that blood and they, they sprinkled it. Moses sprinkled it on the people. And by the blood of the lamb, they entered into a covenant. In a couple days, Jesus is going to gather with his disciples, isn't he? And he's going to hold up the, the Passover cup. And he's going he's gonna to declare that this cup is now the blood of my covenant. And what is he talking about? What does he mean? He means his death. He means his death. He's going to save us by dying. He's going to save us by sacrifice. It's also in, it's also in the psalm. It, they should have seen it. They should have seen it. They should have understood this. It's also in the psalm. In Psalm 118... Verse 25, Hosanna, save us, save us. Verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. That's about the Messiah. Blessed is the Messiah who comes in the name of the Lord. We are in the house of the Lord, the temple. We are in the temple. So here's the picture. The people are all gathered at the temple crying out, Hosanna, save us. And as the Messiah comes to the temple, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And where does he go? Where does the Messiah go? Verse 27, the Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Look at this. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Wait, what? So the Messiah is going to come and he's going to grab that festal sacrifice, that lamb, and he's going to bind it. He's going to tie it up. And he's going to carry that lamb up to the altar, the horns of the altar. The altar in the, in the temple was a big square altar, and it had these big horns on each corner that would stick up. And so the Messiah will come, and he will offer sacrifice on the horns of the altar in the temple. That's what's supposed to happen. And so Jesus, on Palm Sunday, he rides into Jerusalem. Okay, so far so good. He's riding in. Here's our king. According to the song that we sing every year, Psalm 118, according to the, the song, he will now ride into the temple. He'll go into the temple and he'll offer a sacrifice on the altar. But is that what Jesus did? He went to the temple. Luke will tell us that on Sunday night, after riding in, he'll go into the temple, he'll look around, and he'll say, it's getting late, and he leaves. And he goes back to Bethany. He leaves Jerusalem and he goes back to Bethany. And then the next day, he comes back to Jerusalem. And what does he do? He goes to the temple, doesn't he? But does he bring a lamb? Does he go to the altar? 
No, he goes to the temple and he cleanses the temple. He turns over the tables. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer. And he casts out the money changers. He basically condemns the temple. And then he sits outside the temple walls with his disciples and he says, I'm going to destroy this temple and in three days I'm going to build it back up. And he looks at his disciples, that's John's gospel. And in Mark's gospel, he looks at his disciples and says, if you pray that that mountain be moved and thrown into the sea, God will do it. The temple mount. If you pray that that temple is thrown down, God will do it. You see, Jesus didn't go in and offer a lamb sacrifice on the altar. Why? Because in a few days, he will go and offer his life on the altar of the cross. He will be the festal sacrifice bound. They will come for him in the garden. They will bind him. They will tie him up. They will lead him into a mockery of a trial. They will beat him within an inch of his life, and then they will murder him on the cross, and he will become the festal sacrifice who gives his life for you, for me. That's our salvation. That's our Hosanna. That's how we are saved. Okay, so now from this, what are these four truths that we can stake our life upon? We are living in, in times, we always are. This pandemic just kind of makes it clear. The truth is we're always living in the face of death, aren't we? That, that, that part has never really changed. You could die any day. I could die any day. And so we have to ask ourselves, the deeper questions of life. What do I base my life on? What will I stake my life, my existence upon? Another way, as we go through these four truths, another way to say this is, what are the, what, what are the four main truths of Christianity? What does Christ offer? What does Christianity offer? Maybe you're listening today and you're not a Christian. Maybe you're, you're watching this with friends or somebody's going to send this link to you later this week and you're watching this and you're saying, Christianity is just like every other religion. They all offer a little bit of hope. They're all a little bit messed up and to each his own. No, Christianity offers something that no other faith offers, that no other system offers. It offers you a savior and it's not you. It offers you grace. Let's go through these four truths that you can stake your life upon. The first truth is that Jesus is the king that you can trust. Jesus is the king that you can trust. Jesus rides in to Jerusalem that day, gentle and riding on a donkey. He is the savior king. Jesus is the shepherd king. Jesus, we know that we can trust him as our king because he will give his life for us. You see, this is what Christianity is. Christianity is not Jesus demanding your life. That is not what Christianity is. Christianity is Jesus offering you his life. See, most of us, a lot of, a lot of you even that are Christians that are watching this, you, maybe you grew up or maybe you've heard that, how do you become a Christian? You give your life to Jesus. No, I want to challenge that today. We don't give our lives to Jesus. Jesus gives his life to you. You see, Christianity is a response of faith whereby when Jesus graciously offers us his life, 
We respond in faith. That's the kind of king Jesus is. Jesus is, when he rode in, look at Matthew again. When Jesus rode in, they called him the son of David. Look at verse 9. The son of David. Why is Jesus called the son of David? Why not the son of Solomon? Wasn't Solomon the greatest, most grandiose, smartest, wealthiest king in Israel's history? Here's why. Because Solomon was a taker. Solomon oppressed his people. Solomon literally enslaved his brothers and sisters, literally enslaved his people in order to build his own kingdom for his own glory. Not so David. David was a man after God's own heart. Not perfect, yes, not perfect. David had his share of mess-ups, didn't he? But listen, at the end of the day, David was the shepherd king, the king who gave and gave and gave to the people, who cried out for the people, who never abandoned his faith in God and never abandoned his faithfulness to his people. And that is Jesus today. Jesus is the son of David. He's a king you can trust. He's not out to get you. He's not out to crush you. He's not out to take from you. He's out to give to you. His mercy is more, we sang. His mercy is more. His, his faithfulness is new. His mercy is new every morning. That's the king you can trust. Number two, truth that you can stake your life upon today is that Jesus has dealt with all your sins at the cross. The king who rode in that day on that donkey was riding into his death. He was riding towards his cross, his altar, he came and took upon himself your sin, your sin. I want you to personalize it right now. Think about the last sin you committed. Maybe it was this morning. Maybe it was last night. Maybe, maybe you have an ongoing sin that just creeps into your life every third day or fifth day or every other month or whatever. Maybe you carry so much guilt from a past mistake this morning. I want you to understand that Jesus came and he carried that sin, those sins, even the sins you don't even remember, even the sins you can't even think of. He carried every sin, past, present, future, upon himself, onto the cross, and died because the wage of sin is death. The wage of sin is death. So therefore, Christ died as a human he died for you in your place. No lamb could take your place. No bull could take your place. No bird could take your place. It is the blood of a person that's required. And he also died not just as a person in your place. He also died as God, the one who was offended by you. Your sin offends a holy God. Your sin is cosmic treason against a holy God. And the only one that can take the penalty, that can absorb the results of an offense, is the one who has been offended. I cannot forgive you if you offend my wife, Joy. I cannot forgive you for that because you didn't offend me, you offended her. Only she can forgive you because she's the one that was offended. When Jesus died on the cross, he died as our substitute as a person, but he also died as the one, the God, 
who was offended as the only one that can actually forgive us. And so Jesus on the cross has dealt with all of our sins, forgiven all of our sins, cleansed all of our sins. The book of Colossians says he has nailed the record of our debt to the cross. He has nailed it just like just like on the cross above Jesus there was this little piece of paper that said king of the Jews that was his crime he claimed to be the king of the Jews and so they nailed that to the cross and they said that's his crime your crimes have been nailed to the cross your sins have been nailed to the cross they are gone gone cast into the ocean as far as east is from west God has not kept a record of your sins and misdeeds praise God third truth that you can stake your life upon is that Jesus will return and make everything new. Jesus will return and make everything new. There's this interesting thing in Matthew chapter 21, which we read. Look at it again. Verse 5. He quotes the Zechariah prophecy, which we've quoted several times this morning. Behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey okay you have got to have been paying very 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 close attention to see it and so i don't expect you to have seen it but i'm going to tell you what's going on there's a line missing there's a line missing when matthew quotes it he leaves out a line from zechariah he leaves out the line that says that jesus will come with victory and salvation and righteousness he leaves that line out he jumps right over it and gets straight to the gentle donkey riding part. Why does Matthew leave that line out? Why does he cancel the line that says Jesus will ride in with victory? Because it hasn't happened yet. You see, Jesus launched the victory on the day he died. He set everything in motion for victory, but there's a future day coming, church, when Jesus will return and he will make everything right in this world. Clearly, we are not living in that time right now. Everything is not right in the world, is it? Our hearts are breaking today. But Jesus will come back. Jesus himself called it the renewal of all things. At the renewal of all things, Jesus said, he will come, he will restore everything we've lost, he will bring back to life all who have died in him. There will be no more tears, no more death, no more dying the former things will will pass away all things will become new and number four the fourth truth that you can stake your life upon today is that jesus is rest for your weary soul bryce read it a little bit ago matthew 11 jesus said this come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, Jesus came riding on that donkey as the gentle Savior, and that's the exact language that he uses here in Matthew 11. I am gentle and lowly of heart jesus is offering us rest today he's re he's offering us rest from our burden 
He's saying to us today, you do not have to carry it. I will carry it. Take my yoke. My yoke is easy. My yoke, my burden is light. You see, all of us want rest, don't we? We all want rest. Literal rest, we want to go to sleep. We want to take a nap. But more importantly, we want spiritual rest. But rest is elusive, isn't it? It's hard to find rest. Ironically, recently, um, a lot of you know that I have a little bit of back problems, and so recently I splurged on one of those sleep number beds, and it has this really cool little app, and so every night when I sleep, it keeps my score, and so it tells me how good a rester I am. Isn't that ironic (laughs) that I'm scored on how good I am at resting? And so every morning when I wake up, I can see, oh, I'm a good rester or I'm a bad rester. You see, Jesus doesn't do that, does he? Jesus says to you, look, I'm offering you true rest. I'm not keeping score. I'm not, I'm not asking you how good are you at resting. That wouldn't be rest, would it? That would just be more law. That would just be more burden. He's offering you this truth. You know, the, wor- the world says to us, work hard so that you can rest on Saturday. Work hard, and then you rest on your vacation. But Jesus offers the exact opposite. He says to us today, rest, rest. Start in a place of rest. You can start in a position of, ah. And then from there, work. And then from there, go out. And then from there, love. And then from there, serve. But start from rest Why? Why can we do that? Because He has done it. Jesus has done it. He has ended our striving. He he has ended our, our doing. He has ended our earning. He has ended our ladder climbing. He has ended our perform performing. He's taken all that away from us. He's taken that all away, and He's replaced it with, just trust me. Just trust me. I've got this. I've done it. I've got the victory. I've defeated it. Is your, sin, is, your, is your sin stressing you out? I, I took care of it. Are, are, you, are you overwhelmed? Has this, has this a quarantine situation actually, actually made you more overwhelmed with all the things you have to do? Suddenly you're a homeschool parent and you're working a full-time job and, and all this stress. God, Jesus is saying, I got it. I got it. It's all good. You're allowed to fail. You're allowed to, you're allowed to be bad at it. You're allowed to get it wrong. It's under control. Maybe you're underwhelmed. Maybe you're staying at home and, and maybe you lost your job and now you're just sitting at home doing nothing. Or, or maybe, maybe your job has sent you home and you're sitting around going, what's my purpose now? Now what do I do? Now how do I find meaning? Listen, Jesus is saying to you, it's okay. Take a breath. Take a nap. Get in the hammock. Play with your kids. Binge watch something. Do it. It's okay. You're allowed. I've got this. I've done it all. The, the universe isn't revolving around you. It's revolving around me, Jesus. So how do I rest, Brady? How do I take that deep breath and find rest? You've you got to come to Jesus as the king. You've got to come to Jesus as the king, and you've got to submit your life under him. You've got to declare to him, Jesus, you take it. Jesus, you're in control. Jesus, you're in control of my living and my dying. 
you're in control of my, my spiritual growth, you're in control of my family's spiritual growth, you're in control of my job, you're in control of my financial security. Jesus, you're in control. Of, in other words, you got to come and die. You got to come and die. You got you to take the yoke of Jesus, which is the same as taking the cross of Jesus, which means you come under him, you place your life under him. That's where you find rest. Will you come today and find rest? Remember what Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Will you pray with me? And then after I pray, I want to talk to you just a second. Don't tune out. Don't click, don't click off yet after I pray. We're not going to do a final song. Uh, we let our musicians go home. I'm going to just say this short little prayer, and then uh, I'm going to talk to you about the governor's request that we pray together, okay? So let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage, but more importantly, thank you for Jesus, our King, our Davidic shepherd, sacrificing King, who has done it all, who rode in and went to the altar of the cross, went to the hill of sacrifice, who took our sins with him and cleansed us. God, this morning, if anyone in the sound of my voice is, is not sure about this, they're not sure if they've placed their life under Jesus' life, if they've received his life, if they, have not, if they have not said to Jesus, I want what you're giving. I want the peace you're giving. I want the forgiveness you're giving. I, I want the holiness you're giving. If they haven't said that, may today be the day. May today be the day of their salvation. And God, for all, all that have said that and all that have done that, God, I pray that today would be a day of rest. So many are stressed out by all of these things, God, that we're living through. Keep us from that. Help us to see that your yoke is easy, your burden is light, that we can come to you burdened and heavy laden, and we will find rest for our souls. We claim that this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen.